Hello, and thank you for joining us for the Hatchbend Apostolic Church web broadcast. In our society today, some, and yes, sadly, maybe even most, question the value of preaching in their lives. But we still believe what Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. In essence, Paul preached that God has chosen the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. And so that's why we still place such a high value on the preached word of God in agreement to the scripture. And so now I'd like to thank you again for joining us for a message from our pastor at Hatchbend Apostolic Church. last weekend and uh, also want to say thank you to Brother Rayleigh and Brother Osborne for being uh, last minute men <laughs> and uh, I appreciate uh, I appreciate them handling everything Sunday was a little certainly unforeseen while you're standing just a moment let me make just a couple of announcements if I may please don't forget our Christmas for Christ cards that are available in the foyer and Help us help others this coming Sunday. You're going to uh, hear and see another presentation about just exactly what uh, Christmas for Christ is doing in Florida specifically. And uh, I'm thankful for what we are able to do in other regions of our nation, but I'm very thankful for what God is doing among us. So please help us with that if you will. And uh, we are, we're going to do our final wrap-up wrap up of that on December the 31st. Um, I also want to remind all of the parents and the young people that tonight our HAC registration, HYC rather, uh, registration is due $45. If you will please turn that in to Sarah uh, Boyd. And then on the 16th of December, our youth fellowship, their annual youth fellowship, 5 p.m. will be at Justin and Sarah's home. And, uh, and then on the 24th, we are going to be having one service here followed by uh, a dinner. The church will provide, as we have in times past, the meats and then the sides and desserts and things of that nature will be somewhat like our fifth Sunday's potluck style. And so you just bring the sides and things of that nature. And then our HYC, we're going to be in prayer for our young people uh, for December the 28th and 9th. And always expect God to do great things there. December the 31st is an important day for us. It's going to be the final day of this year, and that will be our commitment Sunday. And I ask you to prayerfully consider what you can and will give to missions and our building fund for this coming year. And then if you also will remember that day, we're going to be having our communion service. And so let's don't wait till the 31st to get ready and to get right. Amen. <laughs> And uh, I have sincerely, I've talked to people who sincerely said I didn't want to participate in communion because I didn't feel like I was right. Amen. Well, I would be more concerned about the trumpet sounding than the, the time for a communion service. Amen. Let's, let's get right and pray that God will touch us in the name of the Lord. Amen. I'm just asking you to pray with me this evening. Let's let God's word do a work in our heart and lives. I love you today. 
And I thank you, God, for your goodness and mercy. And I thank you for the strength that you've given me today. And I ask you to help us tonight as we consider your word to let the power and the promises of your holy word touch our heartstrings, touch our mind, change us. Help us to be what you would have us to be. In the name of the Lord, I pray. Amen. You can be seated if you would like. In Deuteronomy chapter 7, verse number 6, the Bible says, and this is my text this evening, for thou art an holy people unto the Lord thy God. The Lord thy God hath chosen thee to be a special people unto himself above all the people that are upon the face of the earth. I think it would be important and fitting if we read that scripture in the second portion of that to say the Lord thy God hath chosen me to be a special person unto himself. I believe this is a personal walk with God and he has chosen me. I didn't choose him, he chose me and I'm thankful for that. My very first secular job I was uh, hired to be a stockman in a grocery store and we worked the night shift. We went to work at 10 o'clock at night and till about seven or eight in the morning and we would stock the shelves during the night. It was long before the days of scanning your your grocery items, um, but you had to price everything and some of you may, if you haven't used one, you may have seen them in use, but you wore a little... Uh, pricer kind of price machine or something kind of clickety clack click and it left little ink uh, things and so you had to cut up all open all the boxes and had to price every little can or box or whatever it may have been and of course it was intended for you to start on time and certainly be finished by the time the store opened and um, at the at the risk of revealing a little too much here tonight but I I just couldn't seem to grasp that within the time frame that I was given. You had so many hours to get all of this work done. You were you were uh, assigned a dedicated aisle. This was your aisle, whatever that would be, and it was your responsibility to get everything stocked, everything priced, and price changes and all that. We had a rather curt uh, store manager who was more like a drill sergeant than uh, anything else and uh, he just took a lot of pride in intimidating people, and he was a very intimidating person, just his countenance and his attitude. And I've, uh, two way too many mornings I knew that time was getting ready, and he would just be standing there with his arms folded, just kind of breathing down your neck, and uh, what an uncomfortable atmosphere that was. I thought at times I'm just never going to be able to get this. What frustrated the process to me even more were all the other guys who worked there because it only took them, it seemed to me, about half the time that it took me, and so they spent a lot of time with rolls of paper towels playing football up and down the aisles, and they were goofing off and taking breaks and trying to get me to sit down and go to lunch with them. I didn't have time to eat. I didn't have time to do nothing but but stock groceries and pray to God to help me to be through before Bob Schick got there on his shift that morning to breathe down my neck. And then one mystical night I went to work, Nothing at all was different. It was the same store, same everything. And it all just seemed to fall in place. I didn't take an additional class. I didn't work any extra hours. It finally all just started coming together. 
and the pressure and the weight of having to be through by this certain time just begin to lift. I can't explain that. Perhaps you've been on jobs or similar situations where it just seemed like all of a sudden the knack of that particular responsibility came to you. And there just seemed to be a seamlessness and and nothing in particular happened except for the only thing that I can attribute it to is that night after night after night, I was attempting to do the same thing. And then finally, for whatever reason, it just came home to me and it all made sense. I found myself even being able to take breaks. I found myself occasionally even being able to eat lunch and things of that nature and just be more like the normal and the regular guy. It all just started making sense. And I think it all started making sense because I never gave up and I was doing the same thing again and again and again. Tonight, I wanna talk about an again and again and again. My attempt this evening is not to try to hammer something home or pop something over the fence, but my attempt is to somehow let the light of God's glorious word shine in our heart and our lives. I wanna talk this evening about the principle of separation. I wanna talk about the principle of separation. And um, frankly, I don't think it's an outdated message. As a matter of fact, when we consider the prevailing winds around us, Amen, we need a voice in this hour to just kind of underline why we do what we do. You know, I think it's important to to celebrate certain moments in our life or certain things in our life. I think there's significance to acknowledging anniversaries. It, It doesn't take you back to that holy altar of matrimony, but it does take you back to a place in time. It's a reminder. It serves as a mile mark to let us know we've come this far by faith. Amen. At, at, at first glimpse, the principle of separation is in the creation and it is recorded in the very first chapters of the Holy Bible that is before me tonight in the book of Genesis. God separated in creation all of his holy works by days. He separated his creative works by days. There's no doubt that he certainly, I mean, he's God. There is absolutely no doubt that God could have said, let there be, and it would have all been here in a moment, a twinkling of an eye. It could have all been there in a snap of a finger, so to speak. However, I believe that God is a God of principles. And he kind of sets some things before us and he lays out things. And if we are careful and cautious, and if 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 we try to walk with our eyes wide open, we can see principles that God, like the proverbial breadcrumbs, lays all along the path. He chose to do only certain works of creation on certain days. In addition to each day being separate, the work that God did on these days also involved separation. For instance, in creation, God separated light and darkness Amen, I think separation's a pretty big deal. Moisture in the atmosphere are the waters from above. The scripture talks about from the bodies of water or water below. He separated the dry land from the sea. He separated day from night. He separated creatures of the sea from the fowl of the air. 
He separated animals from mankind and he separated male from female. God was laying down some principles and he said, I want to show you something. I want you to see something. There are many examples throughout scripture where God separated the holy from the unholy. He separated the sanctified from the sinner. He divided his people from the heathen. There was always a line of demarcation. God was saying, I want to show you something. I have confessed this many times and perhaps I'm attempting to speak beyond my years and tell you that, that I think uh, many times that the, the message of separation has been uh, perhaps crudely presented when I think it's a beautiful subject and I hope and I have prayed and asked God, he's probably been a little weary with me saying this this afternoon, but I've asked the Lord to check my spirit and my heart because I want to preach the indelible and teach the indelible truths of God's word. I want to I I do that as the scripture says in love. I want to know when and how to whisper what God would say and then to know when and how to yell what God would have to say because I think there are times that we need to hold our peace and there are times we ought to sound the trumpet. Amen. There was a generation that, and, and there were generations before us that needed all of those voices to come to them. Certainly the generation that that came out and at the, of the, the dawning of the, or the closing, I guess I should say, of the dark ages, the, the, the time between the Old and the New Testament, they needed a voice of John the Baptist that was yelling, if you please, prepare you the way of the Lord, to turn or burn, we may say. Amen. John the Baptist, who was taking no prisoners, he was just telling it like it was. But then God also knew when he needed to put, he needed to put some backbone in a man named Ananias and he said, I need to send you to Saul. I need, to talk, I need you to talk to him. I've already been working on the other end. And we can understand his fear. We can understand his uncertainty. We can understand his even questioning the Lord, reminding the Lord as though he needed reminding of all that Saul had done. But God prepared him. God also prepared the exact voice and the temperament of the person to sit down in the house of Cornelius. He knew exactly what was needed for the occasion and because of that, Cornelius and his house was converted. And so I say, Lord, help me in this day and help us as a church in this day to know when to speak up and when to shut up. Amen. And when that we need to sound it from the mountaintop and when we need to be gentle in nature. God made it clear that he was a holy God and that he had always required a holy people. Amen. There are those who claim that the, that the doctrine of separation is merely a principle of the law of Moses and because of such, that that should not and could not be binding for us today. It's certainly true that the law contains many specific commandments that are relative to separation. However, the principle of separation encompasses far more than just regulations of law. And so I would ask you today to not only this evening or tomorrow or the next few days, but to always pray and ask God to help us to settle some principles in our heart. Because if we settle those principles in our heart, then it won't matter what the next 
technology brings us. It won't matter what the next thing the world introduces to us. There's a principle that will always be set. You see, if we have to create a list to live by, we'll have to always keep changing the list. We'll always have to update the list. We'll have to rotate out the old and place in the new. But if we put some principles in our heart and we just settle those things and now we're not gonna have to ever revisit this because we've got this nailed down. Amen, the principles of that. The principle of, the principle of separation is an unchanging concept. It's given to mankind by the Lord himself. God clearly separated from the beginning of time until now. God separated the sacrifices of Cain and Abel. God sacrificed, God separated rather the consecration of Noah from all other mankind because Noah had found grace in the eyes of the Lord. Abram was separated from his family and separated from his homeland. Yet all of these events were before the law was even given at Mount Sinai. Amen, these were principles of separation that came to life way before Moses took the Lord, or the Lord took rather Moses to the mountain and gave him the commandments. In addition, in the New Testament, the Lord himself separated out disciples. He separated out a group of people to himself. And so the evidence is clear that the principle of separation is unchanging. And God still wants his church to practice separation. Corinthians, uh, the, the, 2 Corinthians, what is it, chapter six that talks about come out and be separate. Amen. There needs to be something in our life that sets a true demarcation. I'm not talking about being weird and odd and, and things of that nature. I don't think we, uh, I don't think that's what the scripture is pointing at. But I believe there ought to be something righteous and holy about everything that we do. Amen. According to Webster's Dictionary, a principle is just a, a something as simple as a fundamental truth. This is just the baseline. This is the mark that we build from. The Old Testament doctrine of separation is clearly seen in creation. When we see God in action, on the first day of creation, God created light. He separated then light from darkness. Genesis 1, 3, and 4, the Bible says, And God said, Let there be light, and there was light. And God saw the light that it was good and God divided the light from the darkness. He divided the light from the darkness. Other versions of scripture uh, use the word divided as separated, separating the light from the darkness. On day two, God divided or separated the water above from the water beneath. Amen. This was the formation of the firmament. On day three, God separated the water which was below and formed dry land. Then God prevented the erosion of that land by creating various kinds of grass and covering and trees and things of that nature. The next day, God created the sun, the moon, and the stars. And then God didn't, wasn't just trying to decorate the sky. He wasn't just trying to show off. It wasn't God with a little pomp and circumstances, but these were gonna be signs, and they would be for seasons, and they would be for days, and they would be for years God said, I want to show you something. Again, God cited separation as a principle. The Bible says in Genesis 1 and 17, and God set them in the firmament of the heaven to give light upon the earth and to rule over the day and over the night and to divide the light from the darkness and God saw that it was good. 
Now the final two days of creation, amen, God began now to create living creatures. On day five, God separated the creatures of the sea from the fowl of the air. Then he also gave them the ability to reproduce after their kind, effectively separating one species from another. On day six, God separated one species from another. He also separated the land creatures from one another and from mankind. God was separating, creating and separating, creating and separating. Finally, God separated male from female. The distinction that God made between the male and the female of the human race was clear during creation. The entire concept of unisex is against the very nature and the plan of God for mankind all the way back to Genesis. Amen. And so if we were standing in the book of Genesis hypothetically today, we may ask God, what's the big deal? Why are you so worried about all this separation? The answer would clearly be that God was looking through the telescope of time and he saw days like we're living in today where the lines on every course are being blurred and there is no big deal. There is no big deal. Amen. From the very beginning, God called for distinct differences between the man and the woman. This distinction, of course, would cover many, many areas. It would cover distinction in dress. It would cover distinction in uh, emotional composition. It would, it would cover the distinction between our behaviors. I mean, we're just different. Let's face it, we're just different. The church then has a responsibility to decisively uphold this principle of separation. I just want to underline tonight that that God's church on earth was never in the it was never in the mind of God for this just to be a center of social activity. God didn't place the church on the earth just so we would have somewhere to come together and enjoy one another's fellowship, although we do that. But God placed the church on the earth to be an example and to lift a voice and to be a light in a dark in a dark world. He referred to the church as a city that is set on a hill. Amen. That's what the church is today, to be an example. It's more evident every day that we live that this world needs a church that will not change. Amen. A church that will hold on to the message of the word that is our hope. Amen. And it will be fundamentally sound. Amen. Doctrine that is preached from every pulpit. May God anoint every church. May God anoint every pulpit. May God anoint every pastor that we might make this journey together. Can you say amen to that? God did not choose the nation of Israel because they were more in people than any other. He did not choose them because they had a greater military might than any other nation. But God chose them because he loved them and because he was determined to have a special people separated unto himself. According to Deuteronomy 7, they were a people separated from all other people of the world. The many laws instituted for the people of Israel were designed by God to illustrate his desire for a separated people. The people that would 
be holy because they were serving a holy God. They would emulate the spirit of God in their, in their lives. The term holy describes God and it describes God's people as well. All of Israel was a holy nation that God had separated out. He had pulled them out for his service. Therefore, they were urged to keep themselves separate from all other nations. They were urged to keep themselves separated from all things unholy. All of this was in in order to please the Lord. Israel was to abstain from every kind of impurity and the scripture gives many, many examples of that. The Bible talks about clean and unclean beast. This subject began before the law of Moses. The very first mention of clean versus unclean animals occurred before the flood. Am I right? Amen, but it occurred before the flood. The difference was important because the because of the sacrifices that Noah was going to make on the other side of the flood. Because when the door opened, the very first thing that, that he did was to build an altar. Amen. The principle of separation regarding animals demonstrates the importance of God's people separating themselves from clean and unclean activities, clean and unclean associations, clean and unclean places. I'm gonna tell you tonight, you can, you can think that it's no big deal all you want, but I'll promise you, there is more dirt and grime in the world than you can ever imagine. You don't really notice it when you're dirty and grimy. I notice a distinct difference whenever I have to go through my barn or whatever when I'm dressed to go somewhere and when I'm just working in the yard around the house. I don't even think about the things that I'm picking up. Don't even worry about what I'm brushing up against when otherwise I'm being conscientious. I am measuring every step. Everything is intentional. I am walking circumspectly before the Lord. I'm thinking about every step before I put my foot down because you just can't be careful enough, especially in the world that we're living today. And the reason I interject that is because the world that we're living in, I'm not assuming or presuming that it's any different than it's ever been because Satan has always been Satan. But there are so many subtle, sly ways that the enemy is trying to infiltrate our mind, our heart, our homes. Amen. It's the absolute truth. And so we have to be very, very careful that we keep ourselves separated. So what was important to the people of Israel under the law of Moses should in principle and theory still be important to us today. The law saw the priests as ones responsible for implementing the rules about what's clean and the unclean animals, for example. This is clearly stated in the 11th chapter of the book of Leviticus. In the same sense, the ministry today, I believe, is responsible before God to preach the word and to establish holy and godly principles and standards which we should live by. Amen. That should be done not at the whimsical emotions of man, but that should be done by applying the principles of the word of God. Amen. In Exodus 19 and 12, the Lord spoke to Moses and said to Moses to set the border around about the mountain. You've heard me mention this many times through the years because he said if they touch the mountain, they're gonna die. And so Moses, you need to determine 
God didn't tell him where. He said, you determine where. And so I pray that God would help me as a pastor to know where to draw the lines for us as a congregation. Amen. He said, because if the people touch it, they're going to die. Now, I realize the danger of life and death in either side of the ditch. And so I pray, God, help me to find, and I don't mean to be in the middle for the sake of trying to appease everybody, but help me to be in the middle by way of balance to know where and what we ought to be doing as a church. That's a very serious responsibility and a very serious matter. Amen. So I want to be conscientious. I want God to touch my heart, set a guard by my mouth and set a guard by my ears and by my eyes. I want to be what God would have me to be. Another principle of separation is found in the, in the law of Moses in the planting of seed. The requirement of the law was to separate seed uh, it was a very practical practice. According to Deuteronomy 22, it was important for the, in order uh, for the purification of crops or to keep crops pure. God concerned himself with a principle here of the seed. And so he wanted his people to demonstrate separation even in the seed that they planted in their fields. Both by plowing and by planting, he was demonstrating the principle of separation. Deuteronomy 22 speaks against plowing a field with an ox and what, the, and what the scripture calls an ass or a donkey. And so he said you can't combine those. The law did not allow the people of, of Israel to plow with two different kind of animals yoked together. This command was an important object lesson even for us today because we need to understand the value of being in an equal yoke. Amen, he invited everyone to come to him and Jesus did and take his yoke upon them. He speaks about joining ourselves with him and how important that would be. Of course, before modern farming implements and things of that nature, men plowed by pulling wagons and, and uh, plows with animals yoked together. And so it was important to have the same species so that the animals that were pulling that yoke or were in that yoke together and pulling that load would have a similar temperament or a similar nature. And so the physical law had a practical meaning and application. The spiritual implication is equally significant because there are many, many ways that we can find ourselves unequally yoked today. We can find ourselves unequally yoked in relationships. We can find ourselves unequally yoked in friendships or in business dealings. And the list could go on and on and on. It's very, very important what we yoke ourselves with, what we ally ourselves with of the same temperament, of the same mindset. I mean, you, the last thing you want to do is go in business with somebody that has the opposite principles of life than you. And they think cheating is the way to get ahead and you think honesty is the way to get ahead. I can see right off the bat that yoke's gonna be in a bind. Amen. Proper relationships with other Christians and unbelievers. And we have to be very careful because it's, in, it's vitally important to our Christian life and our walk with God that there is that balance in our relationship. In the book of Deuteronomy, in this same passage, he talks about clothing, wool, and linen. The commandment of the Lord was clear. Thou shalt not wear a garment of divers sorts as of woolen and linen together. This illustrates again the difference between God's people and everybody else in the world. And, the, and so the focus, I want to say it again, the focus is in principle, 
and not the material involved. And so we, we're not preaching against wool or we're not preaching against linen in that regard. Amen. But once again, there is a principle of separation. And then we have the distinction of sexes. And it's important to understand that the Lord never called the mixing of clean and unclean or the Lord never called that uh, the mixing of clean and unclean beast an abomination. He never called the planting of divers or various kinds of seed. He never called that an abomination. God never even called mixing the linen and the wool cloth together as an abomination. They were important rules under the law. They were important rules, but God never called that an abomination. He meant to be sure. I believe that they exemplified separation and that was the principle that the Lord was laying down. And I think they did it in a beautiful way and in a distinct way. However, according to Deuteronomy 22 and 5, God views the failure to keep the distinction of sexes an abomination. Now, when you read the word abomination in Scripture, you want to stop what you're doing and you want to figure that out because that is a very serious thing in the eyes of the Lord. The principle of separation was not expressed in the division between the sexes alone. It is established in, in uh, Genesis 127. The Bible said that creation and God called them male and female. Now we may again hypothetically stand in Genesis and say, what's the big deal? What is the big deal? But God was seeing man at its worst, at his worst. The principle was maintained throughout scripture. God intended for a man to be a man and for a woman to be a woman. And there is a difference. More than just physically different. Of course, there's emotional differences between men and women. And it's a wonderful thing that God put families together. And, and I know and I speak with great deference to anybody here tonight that may find yourself in this situation and I'm not trying to dig in a wound or a sore in your heart but I will tell you that it's a wonderful thing when you find a balance in family. Because if men alone were trying to raise children, it would be a very curt. <laughs> They'd have a pair of brown shoes and black shoes and that'd be it. And brown would be optional. Because we kind of live in this real black and white world, Right? And we could find that same uh-oh on the other side of that if there were no balance, if there were no balance. And so, you know, in, in our home when our son was young and, uh, you know, when he got in trouble, I mean, she could just say whatever she wanted to say to him as much as he wanted to say, as long as she wanted to say it. And whenever I joined in, she said, well, 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 well. And she wasn't trying to be unfair or unjust. But what I finally saw the light of one day is there's a difference when it's coming from you. It's, it's from a different level. Am I making any sense? It's going to cut deeper. And so you need to be very, very careful. And I'm thankful for that balance that was there. Amen? <laughs> enough about us he made us to reflect our own respective role and we all have a role 
to fulfill. Not only in society, not only in our families, but I believe in society as well. And so our strengths and our weaknesses, they, they're there to complement one another. And uh, we had to, to postpone our, uh, our, our family weekend and, and it's gonna be coming up here shortly after the first of the year. And, and uh, one of the things, I don't wanna give anything away, but one of the things that has been so interesting that it has been, it has been proven on more than one level that opposites attract. And it's not because God has some weird warped sense of humor and says, let's put these two in a box and see who wins. But God puts us there in those relationships because we really bring balance to one another. Amen. And so God was wanting us to understand that even though we're different, God intended for men and women to be different but not unequal. Amen. We're still of great value and equal value to the Lord. He made each of us to reflect his or her important role in society. And so our strengths and our weaknesses come together not to create thunder and lightning and, and third world wars, but, but they're there to help us to hone one another's hone and fulfill one another's role that God has called us because neither role is inferior. They're just different. We're just different. <laughs> Amen. Symbolic of the different roles God has assigned to the male and female, the Lord wants each of us to easily be identifiable. Amen. And I believe this is very important today. I may be speaking about antiquated things in some camps, but I hope I'm not talking about antiquated things in this camp. But I believe that male and female should be easily identifiable by the clothes we wear, amen, by the modest attire, by the moderate attire, amen, that that is unique to a man and that that is unique to a woman. Uh, years ago, Brother David Bernard and his mother, Sister Loretta Bernard, uh, wrote a book entitled In Search of Holiness. Um, it's been out a long, long, long time. But in, in this book, and I don't normally just read from books, but let me just uh, quote a couple of things here because they share some keen insight. They write, people note that today we do not literally obey verses 9, 10, and 11 of Deuteronomy 22. These verses prohibit the mixing of seed when sowing, the plowing of an ox and an ass together, and the wearing of wool and linen together in one garment. To answer this, we must rightly divide the word of God by looking at what these verses are intended to teach us. Verse five teaches separation of the sexes, which is a moral law. It was not given just to the Jews, but it's still in force today because it's a moral law. Verses nine through 11 teach separation from sin and the world in typology. We do not have to obey their ceremonial aspects, but we still do fulfill them in typology. Our separation today is not between kinds of seeds and animals and fiber. Our separation today is between holy and unholy, spiritual and carnal. The difference in, two type, in the two types of law are moral and ceremonial and they can be clearly shown in this instance because the word abomination comes into play in this 22nd chapter. Verse five says that it is an abomination unto God 
for a person to wear clothes pertaining to the opposite sex and an abomination is something that God hates. Therefore, God's people of all ages must shun what is an abomination to him because Christians do not have to literally keep the part of the Jewish law that is merely ceremonial. Amen, it is so important for us to understand these principles because we're living in a world today that wants to throw the entire chapter out. Let's just toss it all out and if I may use the old saying tonight, what happens is we wind up tossing the baby out with the wash water. Something of great value was here, but because someone only scanned the top, we just throw it all away, not understanding the value of truths that are there. Relationships between a believer and an unbeliever create many strained and difficult situations. And so if it is true that we ought to have now, I don't misunderstand me here. I've debated how to word this today, but if it is true that we are to have the right friends, then it is equally true that we ought to have the right enemies. Now, I'm using the word enemies there very, very loosely just for the sake of an illustration. But if I could just say it this way, there are some people that I would not want to be associated with. Not because I'm better than them, none of Please don't misunderstand what I'm saying. <laughs> but there are just some people I wouldn't want going around town saying, you know what, that's the best, my best friend right there. I would feel more comfortable to just say we are associated. We know one another. Because friends, that takes on a different light because someone pinned the words many years ago and how true they are. Show me your friends and I will show you your future. So true that who we befriend and who we allow to come into the corridors of our heart and our lives, they help set the trajectory of our lives. So we have to be very, very careful who we separate out to call a friend. Amen. That doesn't mean that we would ever be unkind or ever mistreat anybody for any reason in any fashion. I would never condone that, of course. But we should not have enough common denominators with some people to forge deep and meaningful relationships. Amen. If there's differences, those differences are to set lines and fences in our life. I have some wonderful friends. I have some wonderful people that, uh, that I know in life and they have helped me in many, many ways but they're not somebody I'm going to go on vacation with because we just don't have enough in common. We just don't think alike on the same plane, amen. And so we have to be careful. James 4 and 4, know you not that friendship of the world is enmity with God and whosoever therefore will be a friend of the world is an enemy of God. I mean, James, we just got through studying James. Uh, James never clears his throat. He just tells it like it is. And so if you're a friend of the world, amen, if you're gonna have a friend of the world, it's an enemy of God, an enemy of God. And so separation doesn't make us popular. <laughs> I can promise you that because some people just love the work of unrighteousness too much to ever embrace it. So since we're not to love the world or the things of the world, that means then that worldly people are not going to want to be our friend. Not a deep friend. I hope you can draw a little line there in your mind. Amen. You know why? Because they're going to feel ill at ease in our presence. Not because of us, but because of God in us. 
As a matter of fact, I think they should. I'm gonna go home and check my own spiritual barometer if people can just talk vulgar around me and think nothing about it. Amen, wanna walk up to me and just share the latest dirty joke and, and they think nothing about it, then I wanna go home and check my own spiritual oil and my own lamp and say, hey, something here must not be right because light should always interrupt darkness. Even a little light will interrupt darkness. The presence of the Holy Ghost uh, in us, it ought to cause the spirit of conviction to move. That's not a word we hear enough, amen, but it ought, to, it ought to create a spirit of conviction and I will just say it again tonight that if the church is not convicted of sin, then we can't expect that sinners are gonna be convicted of sin. So I pray God bring conviction back in the camp. God bring conviction back in my heart. Let your spirit touch me. Let let me feel something, Lord, before it's even preached over the pulpit or taught in a lesson. Help me to feel something that your spirit would convict me. I'm preaching to people and teaching people tonight that I know in my mind, in my heart, some I know this for real because you've shared that, and others I am, I'm, I am very comfortable comfortable making the assumption tonight that there were many things in your life that the spirit of the Holy Ghost dealt with you about before anybody ever talked to you about it. Just something that yesterday or day before yesterday or last week felt so comfortable, all of a sudden the spirit of the Lord just started convicting us. There was just something about that. Amen, I'm telling you there's something that, that can touch us. I'll just use this illustration. We may be in conversation with someone and that conversation is just kind of going in a place, maybe we're getting on the edge of gossip there and the spirit of the Lord just kind of touched your heart. Anybody ever been there? I hope more than just a few We've been right there and that, that right there called for silence even if it was awkward silence because the Lord is saying you need to separate yourself from this, this conversation or this situation. So I think it's important for us to understand the differences between insulation and isolation and I think we get that in theory at least. Separation is not isolation and, 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 and in that Jesus is our perfect example because he was in the world not of the world. He was not aloof or arrogant towards sinners. As a matter of fact, he ate with sinners and he talked with them and he touched them. He touched those that were untouchable. He touched the lepers. And amen, we should follow, I believe, the example to, of, of Jesus in kindness and compassion for those that don't know the Lord because separation insulates us from sin. Amen, it's a safety and it's a protection from the harmful environment and the effects of sin. We could liken separation to the locks on our doors or the fences in our yard. I don't mind using the example again tonight. Amen, because it's gonna be forever true that the locks on our doors and the fences in our yard are not the treasures, but they are what's protecting the treasures. And so some people say, well, you don't go there or you don't do that or you're trying to dress this way or dress that way in order to be saved. No, sir, no, ma'am. You are misunderstanding that. Amen, I am not doing this or I am doing that and that is because I've got a treasure that I am trying to protect. I've lost count, I've lost count of the nights 
in the last uh, in the last thirty seven years that uh, are a little bit over thirty seven years of marriage that we have all all been in the bed. The lights turned out, and somebody said, "Did you lock the back door?" And even though you know that you know. We may even both lay there for a little while because we know that we know. But in just a minute, you feel them covers roll back because we're going to go check. Why? Because we're scared? No. Because you're afraid of the dark? No. I've got some treasure here in my family. I want my family protected from somebody that don't appreciate what I have as much as I appreciate what I have. And so I know, I I remember, I replay that moment in my mind, but you know what? Because just a little bit of doubt got cast in my mind, I'm gonna get up and check it again. And I'm gonna tell you tonight that even though we may know that we know what this preacher is talking about tonight, I believe and I trust, I pray that it creates something in our heart that says, you know what? I know what he taught tonight. I've read the same scriptures that he read tonight, but I'm gonna go check my heart one more time. Why? Because I have a treasure in an earthen vessel and I don't want the enemy of my soul extinguishing this fire from my heart, from my life, from my family. I wanna get these principles down, principles down, amen, because they are so vitally important. The principle of separation. At some point, at some point, we all have to be trusted with the limit. At some point. At some point, there needs to be a real demarcation, a real sure line. we have children and we're raising our children, our family on a busy street, it would be incumbent of us as parents to those who can't comprehend tragedy and death to put a fence and say, don't run out in that street because death is in that street. But at some point, just to stay true to this illustration, in our children's life, they need to get the principle. And if we get the principle of this, one day you can go along and take that fence up. You can put it on Craigslist and wave goodbye. They're not going in the street because they got a principle in their heart. Amen. And so what I am striving for this evening is not trying to build taller fences because if we do that, we'll just never be out of the fence in business. But if we can get the principle of the danger of sin in our heart and the power of conviction in our life, then I'm not going to walk out there because there's going to be a binding spirit that pulls me back into his love. Amen. Amen. I I am not at all, let's stand, I'm not at all trying to negate any responsibility that 
that I would ever dare have to the word of God or to leading this congregation. But I think in truth that it would be a very sad thing that if every Sunday and every Wednesday we gathered, you just had to preach the same message over and over and over and over and over. There would be something terribly, inherently wrong with that. At some point, there are other things that we need to be taught and we need to get our heart around and our heads around. But while we are moving on to other things, we can't forget what we're built on. And I just want to tell you this evening that that what we're built on has nothing to do with programs or any planning or any preparations that we could dare make with human hands or human minds. What we've been privileged to experience has been prayed down and blood bought. Don't ever, ever doubt that. You can memorize the songs and the sermons, but we just can't duplicate what God does in our midst. And if there was ever a time, and I know this sounds so convenient, but if there was ever a time that the world needs to see a distinct difference, it is today. It is today. Can I tell you that young people, the young people of America are lost. I don't mean lost as in heaven and hell. They're lost to themselves. They're searching for They're searching for what you have in all the wrong places. And so I want to encourage our young men and our young ladies to be godly and holy and righteous. I want to encourage every parent in this house to cultivate that in our homes and in our lives and live that every day before them. Why? Because our world is so upside down. Amen. God help us. Amen. Can we just spend a moment in prayer? Can we just ask God to touch us right now? Lord, we've just gathered here this evening. We've gathered here intentionally. We've gathered here on purpose. This message has been brought to you today by the media ministry of Hatchbend Apostolic Church. We pray that it's ministered to you in some way, and we'd like to take this opportunity to invite you to join us in service here at Hatchbend Apostolic. Our Sunday services begin at 10 a.m. and our Wednesday night service at 7.30 p.m. For any more information or to speak with our ministry staff, please feel free to call our church office at 386-935-2806, or you can visit the contact link here on our website. Again, thank you for listening, and we pray God's richest blessings on you and your family.